good content marketing is good is good writing, and it makes the company look smart. It makes the whoever the byline is on it look smart. It makes everyone associated with it look smart. It has to be perfect, right? It has to be fact checked. It has to be copy edited. You know, it's got to be it's got to be great. It's got to look like you know a top shelf journalist wrote this. Welcome, B2B startups, changeups, scale-ups, and grown-ups. This is the B2B Lead Gen Podcast. I'm your host, Eric Schwartzman. Let's do this. My guest today is Christopher Knoll. He is the founder and owner of Knoll Media. He's a 20-year veteran of the magazine and internet trade. He's worked at some of the biggest names in the web and in publishing, including... Yahoo, Intuit, Ziff Davis, Future Networks, McGraw-Hill, and CMP Media. Christopher, welcome to the B2B Lead Gen Podcast. Thank you for having me. It's great to be here. So now, when we met um, years ago, you were, in fact, a journalist. And since then, you segued over more to content marketing? Yeah, I'd say uh, I probably about do about 70% of my, my uh, time in content marketing and 30% in traditional reporting uh, journalism. I do a lot of product reviews still uh, for Wired and for IDG, uh, but content marketing is uh, bread and butter for sure. It's interesting. You know, there was, when we met, there was no con- there was no such thing as content no. marketing. No, and now like everyone else, uh, you know, I've seen what's happened in the publishing world and <laughs> I've seen where, uh, where the money is and, uh, and where people need my services. And obviously, you know, you're you. In many ways, you probably have a leg up on the competition because of your background as a journalist. Um, oh, and I I'm, guess that could help you and hurt you, right? Uh, well, I've I've never been hindered by having a journalism background. Uh, I, I'd say it's been nothing but helpful. Uh, the names that you read off have opened a lot of doors for me and my technical and business expertise. Uh, I also have an MBA from University of Texas, so. My, my background uh, is really broad in technology and business, and it's, it's done nothing but help me, uh, help me find clients. Uh, I've, never, I've never received any kind of complaint that, oh, well, you know, you used to be a journalist full time. Now, uh, I don't think you could write a thought leadership piece for us. Sure. No, I'm just thinking not necessarily from a client perspective, but, you know, as a journalist, you know, you're sort of looking for truth. You're not necessarily starting out with a direction that you're going to head. You do the reporting and then you write the story and let the chips fall where they may. Whereas as a content marketer, you sort of have an end destination in mind before you start writing. Sure. Well, I guess I consider myself a writer foremost uh, and less uh, a reporter. Uh, and uh, to me, you know, I, I love doing the writing, whether it's uh, starting from scratch and a story that, that I don't know where it's going to lead me uh, to having a brief from a client uh, that's very well outlined and, and developed and doing some research to fill in the gaps. Uh, there's, a lot, there's a lot of range in content marketing if people uh, uh, know what they want and don't know what they want. I will get a, an, a brief from a client that's uh, one paragraph long and they want a 3,000 word paper out of it they don't really have any idea what they want those other 2,900 words to be. Uh, they want somebody to go figure that out. Uh, and then I've had, you know, a 2,000 word outline to turn into a 3,000 word story that's very, very detailed. Uh, and I like doing both of those, both of those pieces of work. 
So, so how do you find clients and how do clients find you? Uh, all of my success is due to word of mouth completely. Uh, I have Nell Media has a, a rudimentary website and social presence, but uh, virtually all of my clients have come to me uh, because I worked with them in the past at some other uh, publication. A lot of journalists, as you know, have gone into content marketing in-house uh, and they need writers too, and they need writers that they trust. And, and I've gotten tons of work that way. And then they leave those companies and go to other companies and they remember me, my work there. And it just kind of goes and goes, and goes. that's taken me 20, 25 years to develop that network. Uh, but that is, that is how clients usually find me. Some people do find me uh, just organically through other things that I've written. Uh, they'll see my byline and uh, they are in a similar kind of field, especially in tech. Uh, but uh, most of it is just good old fashioned network. So, yeah, I mean, so your background is largely tech. Um, so obviously, you know, I know you do a lot of B2B tech. What is the difference between B2B content marketing and B2C content marketing? Well, I mean, the obvious, really, it's the audience and the level of technical detail that you have to write to. Uh, B2C content marketing, uh, you know, I've, I've spent a long time working with Samsung on on a content marketing for their home appliances and things like that. And that's where you're writing about, uh, here's some tips on how to get your laundry clean uh, and figuring out uh, what those could even be. It's very, very surface level stuff. And it's it's got to be very uh, vibrantly written, right? It's got to come alive on the page, the screen. B2B content marketing, I mean, you're talking to, you're talking about sometimes papers that a client really only wants a few hundred people to see because they have those qualified buyers in mind. Uh, and so they have to be highly targeted and they have to know, they have to be dead on accurate with, uh, with their technology and with the accuracy. Uh, otherwise you're not going to get another job from them. So it's, it's very, it's, it's a very different kind of skill set, and just takes a ton and ton of research uh, to to work up these pieces and to make them make them credible because I'm not I'm, I have a technical background but I'm not a programmer I'm not a developer uh, so if I have to write something about uh, uh, containers uh, you know that's going to take a lot of work on my end to to really uh, understand everything I need to know that's new about that technology that the client wants to get across. Do you feel like um, the B two B content marketers that are most successful focus on a vertical industry or some sort of a niche? Or are they all things to all people? I mean, is there real benefit in that? <laughs> I would say most uh, most do have a pretty pretty specific niche. I mean, uh, I've done I've done work with both. There's clients who have a very very narrowly targeted product, uh, and like I said, they may have only a hundred few hundred people that could actually be interested in purchasing this product. And then there's some that are trying to really broaden their wings, and these are more public companies uh, that uh, are more name brands. Uh, that work in more general tech tech fields, and and they are looking at more thought leadership type pieces uh, to elevate their position in the industry. Um, you know, let's take a hypothetical IBM for example. You know, they work in a lot of in a lot of uh, uh, technological fields, and they uh you know they want to they want they want everyone to think great things about IBM, whether they're a current customer, a potential customer, or um, just some layperson who you know they just want to elevate their brand awareness, whereas a a very narrowly focused uh, 
back-end uh, company that provides payment processing services uh, and isn't necessarily on the tip of everyone's tongue for the last uh, 70 years is it's going to be a little more narrowly uh, defined in what they want to and, and how they target their customer and how they target their content marketing. So if a, if a B2B content marketer or content marketing agency wants to focus on a niche industry or vertical, how important is subject matter expertise? How do they have to have firsthand experience? Because I know like at, in journalism, you don't necessarily need firsthand experience to be assigned a certain beat. You use the tools of journalism to write the story. Is that also true for B2B content marketing? Uh, it's somewhat true. I mean, it's, it's true. To an extent, again, I, I don't have experience using development tools, but I can write about development tools. Uh, I write about things like DevOps and stuff like that, and and I'm not a I'm not a developer or an ops person, uh, and those tools aren't aren't necessarily relevant to me. But I understand them, and I understand how they work, uh, and I've talked to people that that do it, and I I get it. So it's a combination. You know, you have to be able to report. You have to be able to empathize with. Uh, the people who are in the trenches, uh, but generally the people, people, uh, businesses come to writers like me because they need writing talent foremost. They don't need expertise. They have that in the company and uh, those people can't write. <laughs> so that's why they need some outside help. So a lot of work that I do, and I'm sure a lot of other content marketers do is taking material that these uh, experts have written and turning it into something that's digestible by the masses. Uh, and that's a big part is, of is often really difficult when you have someone that's okay. working a day job and then you've got to get them to give you a brain dump. So what's the best way to get that done? Do you interview them? Do you wait for them to write it out and give it to you and then take it from <clears> them? <throat> is there a process that you've established that works particularly well when it comes to B2B content marketing for thought leadership? Uh, Often the client has ideas on that front, uh, and I generally have to defer to them. I mean, my ideally, I get an outline of basically the, the broad strokes of what the client wants to say. Then I have a phone call or a Zoom, and, and we kind of go, we walk through it, and I can get, uh, especially if they want that, uh, that expert quoted in the story or they want their real voice to come through, it's kind of important to talk to them to hear what they have to say in their own words. Uh, and then I take those two things and kind of uh, coalesce that into into the story. But there's a lot of times where the um, the expert just isn't available. They're too busy. Uh, there's a language barrier. Uh, there's a location barrier. I work with a lot of companies uh, overseas, uh, and getting everyone together on a call is is very difficult. So I kind of end up doing what everyone does and work with what I have. And if sometimes that takes more revisions than uh, than I'd like, but yeah, that's the business. So um, we're, we've transitioned into the world of SaaS or software as a service. And, uh, you know, selling a subscription is always so different than selling a one-off sale. Um, so when you think about sort of B2B content marketing to support SaaS, are there any unique requirements there? Uh, I would say most of, my, most of my clients are working in SaaS uh, SaaS industries now, and if they're not, they're trying to get into it. <laughs> you know, it's uh, it's it's definitely the the way uh, everything is moving. Um, I'm not sure that there's any real difference uh, in how I approach uh, those two challenges. Um, 
And most of the most of the work I do is more top of the funnel anyway. So it's more like getting people familiar with the concepts of what these companies are even doing uh, and less trying to close a sale. Uh, so I don't you know, I don't think I, I don't think I really approach them any differently, uh, whether they were whether they're selling a hardware product or uh, or trying to do a do a SaaS environment. I'm curious if you have any thoughts on that, though. It seems like it's so much harder to get someone to take the leap on a SaaS deal, um, even if it's a, a low fee. So I feel like it's it's um, really important to have n- nurturing content that's going to sort of keep them warm and keep them considering over a long period of time, rather than some sort of, you know, big hit that's going to try to get them to sign up right away. It seems like it's more of a uh, continuum, more of a, of a customer journey. Whereas, you know, you're trying to reel them in, get them into some sort of a cadence, see if that leads to some sort of a marketing qualified lead or sales qualified lead where they can, you know, be transitioned over to a direct salesperson who can make a pitch. Yeah. Um, I know that for a minute about, longer too. It's getting wider. It's taking more and more of that, those touches to, uh, to really reach the customer. So I think you're right. Yeah. In terms of like, if, if there's a beginner who's like maybe listening to this and they're thinking, you know, B2B content marketing sounds really interesting. I'm a great writer. I love to write. I want to get into this business, but I need like a book. I need some education. Are there any books you would recommend that they read or any sites you recommend they they read to sort of introduce themselves to the craft of B2B content marketing? Yeah, I, I, I have to say, uh, I've never read a book on content marketing. Uh, and it didn't really even occur to me that there were books on content marketing. Uh, but obviously, there are. Um, fundamentally, I think being a good content marketer is being a good writer. And you need to learn how to write period. And whether that's practicing on your own, uh, starting a blog on a topic that you re- that you're interested in, uh, or doing some, um, doing guest posts for, uh, for other companies and industries you're interested in is probably the best way to get going. You know, as, as you mentioned, and everyone in this field that I know, we came out of journalism and that's how we got our experience. And we just learned from working with marketing people and PR people and, uh, all of that stuff over time, really what it takes to not just reach readers, but to reach customers. Uh, so I'm probably not the best uh, best person to give advice on on how to get started in this field because, you know, I've, I kind of lucked into it like everybody else and slowly segued over. Um, but uh, it's practice. You know, it's all about writing and it's all about understanding the topic that, that you want to write about. I've always felt, for me at least, you know, because I got started in PR, um, I, for me, the way I learned to write was by reading. And typically, you know, I would like to read good journalism. And so I would read, you know, national print dailies as a way of sort of getting my feet wet of what good writing looks like. When you think about B2B content marketing, are there any specific writers where you're like, man, if when that when he or she writes a book, I always read it. When they write something, I always read it because they are the gold standard. Mm, boy, I am the gold standard right here. No, I, <laughs> I don't. Uh, no, I don't. I don't. I mean, yeah, absolutely. I read a lot of other stuff, but you know, so much of it is not even byline. It's not. Uh, it's anonymous. I I couldn't tell you who is a great content marketing marketing writer right now, because. I, you know, you don't know who writes most of this stuff. And that's the same problem for me. You know, it's like, I, 
I'd say 60% of stuff I write doesn't have my name on it. It either has no name on it or it has an executive's name on it. And, uh, you know, so it makes, that makes referrals hard, uh, from that standpoint. Uh, but, uh, uh, no, I'm, a, I'm, I'm bad at keeping, keeping up with the industry. I have to say, I, uh, I, I read plenty, but it's, uh, it's more when the end of the day, it's like the last thing I want to do is sit down and read a book about, about, uh, marketing, you know, I want to, I've been doing that living, breathing at eight hours. Uh, and I want to, I want to do something else with my brain, you know? What, what do you like to read? <laughs> That's a nice question. Uh, you know, I read a lot of, I read fiction. Uh, I read a lot of, uh, a lot of, uh, kind of new fiction. And, uh, actually lately I've been reading some old stuff. I read Truman Capote's in cold blood, uh, recently. And I, I just actually started rereading, uh, Douglas Coupland's micro surfs, uh, because, uh, which was about the Microsoft experience in the, uh, in the nineties, I think. Uh, and, uh, my daughter just started going to college at University of Washington, and so we went up to Seattle uh, to take her there uh, a couple of weeks ago. And uh, and yes, she is in college, <laughs> out of state uh, right now. Uh, and so yeah, I'm just kind of kind of reimmersing myself into the Seattle scene, at least as it was uh, 25 years ago. It's pretty funny. Talk to us a little bit about the role of keyword research in the B2B content marketing process for you. Does it matter? Is it important? At what stage does it matter? Are they provided to you? Do you introduce them? Um, how do you think about keyword research and SEO as sure. you write? Well, clients think it matters. They definitely have strong opinions about it. And if, you're strong, if your client has a strong opinion about it, then you need to as well. Uh, it's generally, when I get an assignment, it's generally fairly obvious what the keywords are. And in fact, some assignments I get are nothing but a list of basically keywords uh, that you need to write around. Uh, and, and so it's, yeah, it's absolutely critical that you, uh, that you understand how SEO at least works in the abstract and, and, and understand how keywords go. But I generally don't have to do any research because they're very specific topics that I'm writing about. Uh, you know, if you're, like I said, use containers as another example, and that is the keyword, right? I mean, there's other words around that, but those are, you know, they're, those are going to be provided. And that's, that's, that's all I'm going to write about in that whole story. I'm going to use containers 400 times. Containers? So I know I'm talking about uh, application containers, uh, like uh, in the development world. Uh, sorry about that. Yeah. Um, Shipping containers, that would be really fun to write about too. <laughs> hey, there's a great book about shipping containers that was recommended to me by a Facebook product manager. And it's called The Box. And it's uh -huh. a fascinating book about how we now have standards that are global for shipping with these containers yeah. that fit on any ship and any railroad car and any truck. Let me tell you something. There's a lot of skeletons in them, their closet on the road to getting there, you know, because a lot of people lost jobs over it. A lot of cities lost their livelihoods as port cities. I mean, it's a huge, uh, interesting story. Yeah, I'm a nonfiction guy myself. I feel like when I get older, I'll have the luxury of reading fiction, but I feel like that's a rich man's game. You know, I got to be reading nonfiction. Uh, a <laughs> rich man's game. People would say it's the other way around that the, uh, uh, you know, the rich man, <laughs> Bill Gates only reads nonfiction, right? I mean, he doesn't, he doesn't bother with, uh, with beach reads, <laughs> but anyway, uh, where were we? Keywords. 
yeah, keywords. Uh, I don't, I don't spend a lot of time doing, uh, you know, on those keyword tools, websites and uh, doing the Google analysis and looking at traffic and my clients, when they come to me, they, they already know what they're ranking for and what they want to rank for. And that's the purpose of the story half the time. So, you know, you've been at this a while, you're skimming the cream, but if someone is just getting into this business, right. And they're being told by the client as they negotiate, maybe the, what they're going to get paid for the job, you know, they're being told, listen, I really need this to generate uh, qualified leads for me. I need to see, you know, I need to see results here. It's all about the ROI. We're data driven. Um, if, if your objective is to create content that generates leads, do you have any tips? Wow. Um, Hard one. I guess, I guess, I mean, that's what everything I write is meant to do. Uh, and I think again, it comes back to, it has to be good writing. It has to be informative. It has to be smart. Um, good, con- good content marketing is good is good writing and it makes the company look smart and makes the whoever byline is on it look smart. It makes everyone associated with it look smart. It has to be perfect, right? It has to be fact checked. It has to be copy edited. You know, it's gotta be, it's gotta be great. It's gotta look like, you know, a top shelf journalist wrote this or a top shelf writer of some kind, you know, it's just gotta be, it's just gotta be solid. And uh, it can't be a hard sell. You know, you can't be uh, pushing your product uh, every third paragraph with, uh, it can't have pop-ups over it saying get a free trial. You know, it's just got to be, it's got to be something that that you would say, I'm proud to share this with the world. Like this is, this is our viewpoint. This is our, this is our outlook on this specific topic, this specific industry. And uh, it's got to be, it's got to be, it's got to be uh, better than anything else out there. So if you can do that, you know, if you're, if you're a new company that's going into a field that's probably already crowded, um, you've got to do it better than the established guys that are out there. And that's maybe not that hard because a lot of the content marketing from large tech companies, at least in my world, is, is really bad. You know, it's written by developers uh, who just wrote it as a, you know, a blog post uh, in their spare time at 10 o'clock on a Sunday night. Uh, because they have a mandate from management to have their name out uh, on on their website, uh, and it, it it just comes across like a part a page ripped out of a technical manual. It's not it's not impressive. It's not uh, compelling, uh, and there's definitely opportunity for smaller companies to get in there and uh, and mix it up a little bit. It also doesn't hurt if it's a little bit controversial. You know, if you have if you have a viewpoint that's a little bit away from what the industry standard is, uh, that gets noticed too, and could bring in definitely leads. Let's talk for a minute about images. Um, what is your feeling on stock photography? Because I know a lot of times, like I'll go to a blog site or I'll download some content, and it's got stock photography in there, and I just, for me personally. I feel like, oh man, this is not real. It's stock photography. Yet at the same time, pictures are so important. So what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think I'm on the fence on it too. You know, I feel like if there's a stock photo, then it's probably stock writing too. 
right? I mean, there's something that connotes cheapness and insincerity about it. If it's a, if it's stock photo, especially if it's the same stock photo I've seen over and over and over again. Uh, in fact, to the point on containers, I've definitely seen stock photography about containers, tech containers, which was actually Tupperware containers that they used in the picture because whoever laid it out didn't have any concept of what they were actually putting on the page. So it's in that case, I feel like that's harmful to your, to your brand. Like actively, it makes your company look like you don't know what you're doing. So on the other hand, it's not relatively, it's not really uh, realistic for every company to go out and photograph a unique picture for every blog post they do, right? Or every, uh, every piece of content they put out. Uh, so yeah, you get into this kind of catch 22 where it's, it's hard to do it one way and it's silly to do it the other way. Uh, so I definitely work with a lot of clients who use stock. I don't necessarily, I don't usually get involved with layout and images, but, uh, you know, my recommendation is always, if you are going to use stock, like get a good stock photo that you haven't seen a lot and you can easily search Google to see how frequently a stock photo has been used uh, through a Google image search. Uh, so there's no need to use that same one of everyone huddled around the laptop smiling. Uh, it's just, you know, it's like, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta dig a little bit deeper on some of these sites. And if you have to pay a little bit, you know, you should do that. Cause it's, it's, it's worth it, but I'm with you. You know, I, I don't, I don't think stock photography is uh, pulling in a lot of uh, pulling in a lot of leads these days, but uh, also a big page of white text isn't going to do it either. I remember uh, when, back in the old days when I was in PR, there was this website called Buzzsaw. And sure. Buzzsaw was a site where you could sort of look at the most despised buzzwords of the day, you know, end-to-end yeah. -end solution, <laughs> robust, uh, you know, provider. Um, so uh, since we're, we're sort of drilling down on likes and dislikes here, uh, what are your most despised buzzwords these days? Uh, well, right now, a lot of those still are still around, you know, everything is, uh, the, the, the old, the old stuff is still there. Paradigm shifts and holistic approach, uh, a use case, uh, all of that is still around. But what I really don't like that I see like almost universally is the abbreviation of words, uh, that are common in business, like spend instead of spending or compute instead of computing or cyber instead of cybersecurity. Uh, it's just kind of this laziness uh, that you assume your reader is using that same kind of shorthand jargon, but it's not necessarily the case. Uh, and it just, I don't know, it just comes across as, uh, as clubby and, and not, uh, it doesn't come across like a, something a real person would say. Like, yeah, I'm gonna, <laughs> like our, Hey, honey, our spend is out of control this month. We've got to rein in the bills. You know, it's like, it's, it's kind of silly. And also just like now there's just way too many acronyms. Like everything has an acronym and uh, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's overdone. Like people need to spell out some, some words. I once uh, just recently last week, I was doing some research on a company on a, on an organization that went by an acronym, you know, it's like ABC organization and nowhere on their website did they tell you what ABC stood for. It didn't stand for something, but it never, they never explained it. So I was like, you gotta, you gotta give somebody, you gotta throw us a bone here. 
we don't necessarily know what all these terms are. Uh, even if, even, you know, that's a, that's a, a, it was a technology company that I was a technology organization that I should have known what they did, you know, Didn't make any sense. Nope. I lost you. Muted. I spoke to a um, PhD of physics from MIT. Uh, guy's name is Joe Rom. And um, he actually left the world of science for the world of communications because he did all this research that showed him that people trust stories more than facts. And it's really the story that matters. We, we sort of decide based on the story emotionally and then rationalize based on the facts. And um, uh, he wrote a book about um, rhetoric and the importance of headlines and how most people just read the headline. They don't even touch the body text. And really most news today, people who read the news don't really read the news. They look at the headline and the photo and that's the story. And so his takeaway is, you know, the headline is just so important. So what are your thoughts on headlines and how much time do you spend on them? And do you have any sort of a process for coming up with a good headline? Mm. Well, I agree. They are important. <laughs> they, uh, the headline, I, I mean, that was drilled into me from uh, the first day of, of writing for the Daily Texan in 1991 when I started doing journalism. Yeah, your headline is the story. I'm, I'm guilty of that as well. I look at a headline. I tell my wife, oh, did you see such and such died today? Some and such happened? Like, yeah. Oh, what happened? Oh, I don't know. I didn't read it. I just saw the headline. <laughs> I was hoping you read it. You could tell me. Uh, so, you know, again, I mean, headline is, is more art than science now because it's not just about readers. It's about search engines and there's a certain length uh, that that works and too long is bad and too short is bad. And, you know, I mean, there are some there are some or outfits that I work with where they want an exact headline and an exact number of characters in it. Uh, and that is that is difficult. Uh, but, yeah, you have to use. Yeah, you have to use it's it's just like journalism 101 you have to use action words you have to get across a story very succinctly um you've got to you got to keep it small you know eight words max um i wish i had a uh, i wish i had a formula for it um that'd be a that'd be a good book to read uh how to drive how to craft the perfect headline but as you know i mean that is the subject of so much testing, A-B testing, and uh, so many so many organizations are putting out, you know, let's try this, this headline, that headline, and see which one works best. Um, that's lifeblood of SEO. I mean, it is, uh, that, is a, that is a down the rabbit hole situation. Did you see Social Dilemma? I haven't yet. I haven't. It's on my, it's on my queue. Uh, what's the verdict? Well, I mean, it's very interesting because they got access to really high-level staffers <laughs> at a lot of the, you know, major platforms, you know, none of who are there anymore. But, I mean, you know, guys at Facebook and Twitter and Google who really were high up in terms of uh, social by design and trying to create addictive technology. And, uh, you know, the most interesting thing about it was sort of the unintended consequence of um, contributing to political polarity by basically creating these bubble filters that show you more of the same to increase utilization. 
and not really having thought through what that means for someone who's watching conspiracy theory videos. It's fine yeah. if you're watching cat videos. If you're watching conspiracy theory videos, you know, you become a militia and you organize against the state. And the other thing that was really fascinating about it is like, you know, Often I sit around thinking, my gosh, I'm not going to say which side of the political spectrum I'm on, but I often will say, my gosh, how could the other side really think that? How could they really believe that? And there was sort of an explanation for that in the social dilemma, which went like this. Well, what we're doing is we're showing people what they want to see, what's around them. So they're not even seeing what you're seeing. They're just seeing what they're seeing. So that contributes to these sort of different realities that create polarity, particularly political polarity. Yeah, there's an interesting uh, feature about uh, about that in Wired uh, in the la- latest issue in print uh, about how YouTube had to develop filters because of conspiracy theory videos and flat earth uh, type stuff and how their filters eventually, uh, they were recommending, well, you like this flat earth video, so you'll love this one. And it's just this... Uh, this <laughs> this tube, this spiral that you go down into, you know, a feedback loop uh, and and how they had to kind of develop a way to 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 figure out what was a conspiracy video and what was not. I mean, I, you know, fake news is a real is a real thing. <laughs> and that's uh, that's that's it right there. New York Times has a new podcast called Rabbit Hole. And in one of the first episodes, they t- they, it, uh, <coughs> they talk about what they call the bubble filter. And they're talking to a YouTube engineer who was let go. Uh, he was one of the guys who said, hey, we got to show more more disparity so, you know, people can see a little bit of everything because this isn't a good idea. And, you know, he was ultimately let go. Right. And uh, he's a French guy, and he sort of was talking about this whole, you know, thing about how they were basically incentivized to increase watch time, whatever that meant, whatever the, the follow-up may be. So it'll be interesting to see whether or not the Digital Millennium Copyright Act, which basically says, you know what? It's we're just a platform. We don't control what people say on it. You can't blame us. We're like the telephone. It'll be interesting to see if regulators agree with that at some point because they are actually using an algorithm just to control who sees what. You know, they're yeah. not just a Xerox machine or a telephone, right? Or, you know, a network. Yeah, yeah. I think uh, I think the next. 10 years will be pretty uh, interesting on that, on that front, uh, because that is, you're right. That's the, the publisher, uh, the hands-off publisher is not a, it's kind of a thing of the past. We're talking to Christopher Knoll. He is a former journalist with Yahoo News and Ziff Davis and several other outlets. He now specializes in B2B content marketing at his Knoll Media Agency. And I want to ask you just a few parting questions here before we wrap this up. What are your, do you have any favorite content marketing tools? Um, well, I, uh, I use Yoast pretty regularly uh, on stuff that I, uh, on stuff that I published via uh, WordPress. Uh, it's super helpful and just getting, dealing with all the SEO stuff that I don't like to deal with uh, behind the scenes and making sure everything is nice and clean, tidies it up for you uh, and it's free. So that, that doesn't hurt. Uh, that's the main, that's the main thing I rely on. And then I do, you know, when I have to do keyword research, you know, I'll use the, uh, uh, the Google's, uh, keyword tool, um, uh, to do, uh, to that. And actually the stuff that's built into, uh, built into WordPress now with Jetpack, uh, is really handy and showing you how things are performing. You know, I run a website called Drink Hacker, which is a uh, wine and spirit reviews. And we've got 
nearly 8,000 pieces of content on there. And uh, it's always really instructive to see what people are reading and, uh, and what people they're searching for. And uh, uh, that's, that's informed some of the, some pieces that I've actually written directly because I saw those searches and now they're some of our most popular uh, pages on the site. I'll throw out a few that I've been using to help with headlines. So there's a really cool site called Rhyme Zone. And if you're, if you're looking to do like alliteration or repetition or rhyme or something in a headline, there's a site called Rhyme Zone and it's really sophisticated site. You can put in a word or a phrase and get rhyming words and phrases. So uh -huh. if you're looking to do some sort of repetition, alliteration, or rhyme, you can do that. The other I've been using is one uh, called Figures of Speech. And uh, it sort of goes through various figures of speech, uh, metaphor, um, uh, analogy, uh, different types of figures of speech, and also gives popular examples. And I find that that's really helpful too. And then I've been using another called Related Words, which mm -hmm. helps me with word finding. And that's just been to kind of, you know, spiff up my headlines. Yeah. Well, I live on the thesaurus.com too. I mean, uh, it's always, always, how many times can you, know, you say the same uh, enable? So you got to come up with some, uh, uh, some ways to spend that a little bit. I don't know if you get into the weeds on content management, but do you have a favorite content management system? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I run, I run on my own websites on WordPress uh, and I, most of my clients have been on WordPress or on some version of WordPress. Uh, I love it. I, I do everything in WordPress that I can. Every now and then I run into a client who uses a Wix or um, Squarespace. Any thoughts on those? Uh, other, well, the other, a lot of clients I, I work with have proprietary uh, uh, CMSs and uh, none of them are are workable. I don't. I haven't used Wix, uh, uh, so I can't comment on that directly. But I do know that swearing up and down about how horrible your CMS is uh, is just as popular today as it was in the late '90s when CMSs were invented. Uh, and you know, it's just it's just one of those things that goes with the territory. Any other favorite plugins besides Yoast? Uh, well, the Cloudflare I think is essential. You need to have a you need to have balancing on your site and, and cache smart caching. And what I what on Drinkhacker again, I use a WP Product Review Lite, which uh, automates the um, you know if you search on Google for a product, it'll show a four stars and the price. It does all that for you, so you can so when you're uh, if you're a product review website, uh, that's really essential to have because you will show up much higher in the search results if you have those little snippets and star ratings and stuff in there. And then, yeah, I mean, who wouldn't want to, who wants, you know, you would definitely want to click on something that has some solar, uh, some sparkly stars under it rather than nothing. Uh, and it lets you uh, embed uh, like affiliate links. So there's a big picture, you can click it, it'll go through and people can buy the product and you can get your, get your commission. So that makes it a lot easier and we get a lot more sales that way than uh uh, than we did uh, without it. So if the CMO of McKinsey is watching this right now and wants to get a hold of you to hire you to rewrite his entire website, how would he do that? Or uh, she? Very, very simple. Uh, null at nullmedia.com or just go to nullmedia.com or just Google my name. <laughs> it will all come up. Uh, I'm available via LinkedIn or uh, 
Twitter, Facebook, any of those methods. Uh, people tend to find me pretty easily. <laughs> Christopher, thanks for taking the time to do this. It's great to connect with you. Eric, it's been too long. It's, uh, this was fun. Thanks for having me. So long. Thanks for listening. This is Eric Schwartzman for the B2B Lead Gen Podcast. See you next time.